Please do take a seat. Mm. Well, good evening. Welcome. So here we are, Ephesians part two. Thank you. Ephesians, um, we're in part two. Just to give you a trajectory of where we're going, we're going to end this session um, kind of focusing on the church. And then next week, Jamie is going to kind of unpack what it means to be the church, how that looks. In two weeks' time, I'm going to be back and we're going to do the household codes of Ephesians 5 um, and chapter 6, which is all the controversial stuff. And then in 6, on the final week, we'll do spiritual warfare and the armor of God. That's kind of the trajectory of where we're going. And we're going to skim some things, um, but I want us to plow in and get some depth with the stuff tonight. Um, I was told last week not to apologize, so I'm not going to apologize. But I do... What I would like, if anyone feels like I overstepped the mark tonight, would you please come and speak to me? Don't just, don't, don't leave. Can we, clar- let's talk about this, okay? You'll know what I mean in a minute. What I want to do is I want to do an introduction, and then I want to do three distinctions Paul makes, visible, tangible things that happen when we get saved, three distinctions that are made. Um, I'm going to do one of them, Anna Foxy is going to do one, and then I will do the final one. So introduction, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Paul's in the middle of a really long prayer. Um, We're going to go quite quickly, but do pick up a Bible or on your phone. He's praying this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, he's using that to describe physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual things, may be enlightened in order that you may know, first thing, the hope to which he has called you. Now, we know what that hope is already from verse 9. It is the mystery of his will. It is that he's going to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. Okay, that's the hope we have. One day we will see God face to face and we will be in heaven. That is our hope to which he has called us. Second thing, he carries on. You may be enlightened to the order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, not only is there a future hope, and you could read this part as a future hope, but it's not. It's the riches of who we are now. Now, in verse 14, if you just look up, Whose are we? We are God's possession. But we are not literally in front of God. But our worth is God's possession. It's the same thing. We are raised with Christ, but we're not literally in heaven right now. But we have the benefits of being in Christ. The riches of his glorious inheritance. So we don't see God, but we're adopted. You kind of get that? We haven't been fully redeemed, but we are in Christ. So therefore we are redeemed, but not fully. Does that kind of make sense? So right now, our value is in Christ. Some quotes are good, some are not. This is a really good one. Listen to these beautiful words, okay, just about that passage. That That God should set such a high value on a community of sinners rescued from perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state might well seem incredible were it not made clear that he sees them in Christ as from the beginning he chose them in Christ. As a consequence then, Paul prays that his leaders might appreciate the extraordinary value God places on them. Third thing, the incomparable, verse 19, and, this is so you would know it, and his incomparably great 
power for us who believe. And then he lists five things that that power is like. All things that God does to Christ. Raises him from the dead, descends him into heaven, seats him on the right hand of the Father, puts all things under him. Okay? So, the question is, are we like God? Yeah? Incompellibly great power for us who believe. Well, no, it's what God has done for Christ, and it's what God has done for us, that we would know his great power. How do we see his great power in us? Not just in Christ, because he's given us the examples of this. How do we see his great power in us? With examples that are tangible. That's what we're doing. Okay, so we're going to look at three ways we see that great power at work. Okay? Death to life. Darkness to light. Outsiders to citizens. That's where we're going. Okay, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, before we get to it, this passage hinges on the first word of verse 4. Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 4. But, but, but. When we get to that word, what we're meant to say is, praise the Lord, hallelujah, there's a but. Okay? But if we don't do verses 1 to 3, then we're not going to know how precious that but is. Okay? Let's do one to three. Now, this is not Sunday, okay? So I'm not just, let's just dig in together. Chapter two, verses one to three. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse 3, have a look with me. All of us also lived among at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, For some of us, that's a difficult question. Are we all deserving of God's wrath? We're not going to unpack that here, but I'll tell you what you can do. September the 18th, if that's a difficult question, Alpha. This is the only, I'm going to just say one quick sentence about it, and we can unpack that. I'd love to unpack that with you. But very quickly, and we can chat more. If God is to remain totally holy and totally just, all sin from the very smallest to the most gravest, has to be accounted for. And therefore, we are all deserving of God's wrath. Now, fundamentally, you and I cannot imagine the depth of our sin that this passage really highlights. Because the biggest issue is that we are dead. We are dead in this life because we are without Christ who gives us life and life to the full. We are heading to physical death because of our transgressions and sins. And we are spiritually dead because we're merely waiting for God's wrath. Why? Why are we dead? Because we are by nature objects of God's wrath. So the logic of these two, three verses, we are dead because of our sin. 
He then highlights three ways that we sin. And all of that is because our nature is an object of God's wrath. That's what we're heading towards. So let's look at the three ways that we can sin. Have a look with me at verse 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Now, society, each society, each generation, each people group packages their own sin differently. Now, sin at the very heart is where we reject God's will, God's law, his way, anything to do with him, and we put ourselves first and our way and our law. Okay? That's what it means. So when it comes to the world, what what happens is, is, as a Christian, rejects God's way and enters the world's way. I'll give you two examples. Okay? One subtle way is the value system with which we live. Okay? There are some industries and some businesses, some of you will experience them, that are run solely on greed. At the very heart is greed, okay? And so what happens is that value system affects us and therefore we are changed and we reject God's way and we embrace the world's way. Yeah? I'm not commenting on any particular way of working or where you work. It's just a way that we are affected by the world. I'll give you another example. Um, sex. Okay? Now, I read through the Bible, and my belief is that sex is three parts. It's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. Yeah? That's, that's what I get from the Bible. Now, when I speak to my friends, that is not in their framework. Okay? Many of them would agree it's physical. Some, some might talk about it emotionally, and a very few would support the kind of spiritual aspect in certain circumstances. Now, if I changed my view and I became like then, then I'm not going to be able to fit the Bible into my worldview. And I just reject God's way and God's ideology and God's creation. Does that kind of make sense? That's where the sin comes from, where we reject that and we just follow what everyone around us is doing. Have a look again with me at verse 2. This world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So you've got the world and then you've got the devil. Very quickly, there are two ways that the devil makes us sin or moves us towards sinning. Unrecognizable disobedience. It's where the devil kind of subtly changes what God has said. Think about in the fall in Genesis 3. Did God really say that? Did God really speak those words? And there's a subtle change. It can almost be unrecognizable. And it can come in the form of church leaders or it can just come in our own minds. And when we read the Bible, did God really say that? Mm. The second way the devil does it is recognizable disobedience. All the way through the Bible, you see there's this kind of reference to a war in the spiritual realm. And it talks about spiritual practices that aren't compatible with living for God. It talks about the occult, and it talks about other new ways of kind of trying to find meaning and listening to spiritual voices that are not of God. And the problem is, with unrecognizable disobedience, is for predominantly, people think it's a joke in our culture. That's one of the big things that's going to happen. Where we see through the Bible, yes, these things are really bad, but... We take them at a light-hearted face value. I think the devil's favorite type of Christian parent is that 
of those who on a Sunday morning will say to their little children, you don't, be, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of the devil because Jesus defeated him on the cross. And then the following Friday, we'll dress them up as murderers, demons, and witches and send them out to make light of the same thing that they were teaching. And then we realize, actually, there is a disconnect between what we really believe and what we say and what we do and what we joke about and what we read and what we watch. Third thing. Have a look with me at verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, the flesh. Just really quickly, this is what's inside of us. You know that feeling. I want to do this. I want this, but I know it's wrong. And Paul is saying, Paul's saying, forget the devil. Forget the world. If those things didn't exist, you'd still need saving. There is something inside of each and every one of us that is crying out for a savior. Now, what does this mean? And what will happen? In light of those three things, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, the nature is birth. It is our being. Think of John 3, 16. You know the classic bumper sticker verse. In that passage, he, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about new birth. Yeah? How can I be born again? Okay? And he's unpacking that. What is your nature? Are you in the kingdom or out of the kingdom? So he goes on to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? He didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. And whoever believes in him will not stand condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Stands condemned already. In our sinfulness, we stand condemned to death. And we are condemned to experience the full and perfect holy might of God's judgment. Now, hear me. God is love. God is not wrath. That's what you, we have to get this. God is love. And in God's love, he responds to sin with love and holiness, with his wrath. And it is coming, and it is deserved. You see, this, this is part of the Christian message. You know, some people might say, oh, this is all Old Testament stuff. No, this is all time stuff. You see, if there's no sin, there's no need for Jesus. If there's no fear of wrath, there's no need for a savior. So fundamentally, with three verses, Paul highlights two foundational truths about all humanity. We are dead and we are objects of wrath. But, but, in spite of us being dead, in spite of our transgressions, in spite of disobedience, God sees the problem. He sees the depth of the problem and he sees our lack of worry about the problem. Now, some people will do the first three verses and then stop. They are wrong and you should run away from them. 
And then you've got other people that start at verse 4. They're wrong. You see, listen to this. You know, we've only had a little bit of time, but you can see that this is tense. Now look with me at verse 4. What is it that drives God's response? Verse 4. But because of his great love for us. Look at me. Some of you literally have no idea how loved you are. Literally have no idea. Look with me again. Look with me again. Verse 4. But because of his great love he has for us. You've got to understand the mess we're in to go, wow, that is power. You see, it's very easy, isn't it, sometimes to hear, and many people have incredible testimonies of God taking them out of the depths of everything. But that is not just one person's story, that's everyone's story. We're all in this together, we're all in the boat together, and we all then get to experience God's love. It's the greatest rescue story the world has ever known. And it's been coming all the way through the Bible. Here's just three verses for you to really quickly write down. Psalm 103, 8. Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah, who's told to go and tell this story of love to other people, and he hates them so much he doesn't want to tell them. What does he say? I knew you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Exodus 34, 6. This is what the Lord said. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We go from death to life. And then look at this story. Have a look with me at this story. Verse 4, because of his great love. So he started this solution. This is God. And what's it all about? Verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace. You have been saved. One difficult question to get our heads around that I think I've been asked a lot. How, what about, how, how do you respond to Jesus if you can't articulate or you, can't, you don't have the capacity to understand Christ and death and sin? How do you get to know this? Well, you take them to verse 5. I understand and I've got nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Look at verse 5. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead, so we couldn't resuscitate ourselves, in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. It's on his terms. And then we're raised with Christ. Look with me, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that we're not going to face judgment. But when we do face judgment, God doesn't see us. He sees us through Christ. We are in Christ. Died with Christ, raised with Christ. Now, it's one thing to know all of this. But it's another to walk out our new nature. Okay, So think of, the deprav- think of where we've come from. This is how it ends, verse 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here we go. 
for we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us to do. Our very nature changes in an instant. That's power. Our very nature changes. His great love started the process. His grace saves us. His kindness raises us up with Christ. His gift of his faith, his handiwork created in Christ for good works for us to do. It's all about him. And so, what are these 10 verses summarizing? We were dead and we're made alive. We're objects of wrath and we are recipients of love changed forever. This rescue story changes us beyond all measure. So I'm going to quickly pray, and then I'm going to ask a question. Heavenly Father, we pray that your love would shine through. We thank you for your holiness and justice. And I pray that we would take what is of you and you alone. Amen. Now, can I invite you to turn? Anna's going to come up and she's going to carry on uh, with darkness to light. Can I invite you to turn? If you don't want to do this, please don't, just very quickly. Which of those do you struggle most with? Do you struggle with either the need for Jesus or that Jesus loves you? The need for God or that God could ever love you? Which of those two do you struggle with? And then Anna's going to carry on. Just turn and have a chat. Um, I'm not quite as um, energetic as Michael. Um, The reason I think he's put me in the middle is so he can have a rest and get his energy back up for the next next phase. So bear with me. I'm also not as experienced as doing this by a long shot as Michael. So um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit of a rookie, but I hope that um, what I talk about is helpful. It was certainly helpful for me to do the preparation, so something good has already come out of this. So Michael's asked me to look at uh, the subject of darkness to light, um, which, and the passage I'll be looking at is um, moving further on in Ephesians to chapter 5, verses 8 to 20. Um, And I'll read it in one go, but then what I'm going to do is break it up a bit and move backwards and forwards a little bit, so, um, but just bear with me. So it's, for for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. For everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Speak and make music in your heart to the Lord. Um, sorry, in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the subject of the passage is darkness to light um, that Michael's given us a a great introduction on. Um, And 
in looking at the passage, I sort of feel like it, I felt like it breaks up into three parts, which is the first part really affirms who we are, um, which is light in the Lord. Um, it also inspires and guides us to live differently. Um, and then it also encourages us as to the impact that that can have. Um, so in terms of, so what I'm, I'll just go into those sections a little bit. And then what I'm going to do is just elaborate a bit more on some of the more difficult bits um, that I've been given to talk about. <laughs> um, so in terms of affirming who we are, um, in verse 8, it talks about, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And there's a subtle difference um, here between sort of being in the light to being light itself. So in Christ, we're light all of the time. We carry light. It's not just that we step into it and step out of it, but we are light. And I just quite like the imagery of that, of kind of, you know, just the thought of us all in whatever situations we find ourselves, just being those kind of, you know, those lamps, those, those kind of beams of light within, you know, what, what are, can often be very dark situations. Um, it also inspires us, yeah, to live differently, and that's the bulk of the passage is, is based on that. Um, but it, as well as focusing on light, um, in, in verse, um, some of the verses it talks about have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, um, and it being shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, just that whole issue of, you know, as well as exposing things, not to kind of glamorize sin as, as we kind of engage, you know, with, with sort of with it and with people who are um, living differently to us. And then also, and, and really importantly, it encourages us to the impact that, um, you know, being children of light can have. Um, and that's, you know, the, where it talks about um, everything exposed to light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Um, and, and that, it's not, I mean, I, I looked in a few studies in preparing for this, and it's, it's kind of one of those things that's a little bit unclear, but I think some people that, um, some sort of commentators um, would say that through that, you know, Paul is saying that, look, you know, your, your lifestyle, as well, as well as this being about your lifestyle and how you should live, in living like that, you will draw other people um, and, and, you know, they will see something different um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll kind of illuminate Christ to them. Um, so um, what I'll do now is just, yeah, go, there were a few bits in here that I thought were particularly kind of challenging um, and just go into those a little bit more. Um, and, and also I thought some things that could be a little bit misunderstood as well, um, and I, I certainly had to go over them a few times when I was preparing. Um, so it's verse, let me just get the verse, do, 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 verse 11, um, where it talks about have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Um, it's not a call to keep away from I put in inverted commas in my note, the disobedient, um, but rather from the deeds, um, and not to, as I, I think I've mentioned already, not to endorse them by discussing them, glamorizing them, etc. Um, and um, 
I think, I mean, I, I found this a little bit hard to read. Um, and, but I thought, you know, in some ways, it's, it's useful to remember, I and mean, something Michael's been reminding me of, Anna, Ephesians was written for Christians, it's for the church. Um, and so Paul's being quite candid, um, and he, but he's not necessarily contradicting, or he's not contradicting how Jesus encountered people in the Gospels um, with forgiveness and grace. Um, it's very much about, you know, how the Christians should live. And also the whole issue of, you know, how do we expose these deeds? Um, there's, a, there's a few ways that um, exposure can, can kind of take place. And um, there's, I, I referred to a speak, uh, somebody called um, Alexander McLaren, who he, he came up quite a lot on, in some of the commentaries. Um, he was a Glaswegian who lived in the um, mid to late 19th century. Um, and there were some real gems in his stuff. Um, but what, a few of the things that he said in terms of exposure is um, there's the silent condemnation of evil, which comes from the quiet doing of good. And as an old preacher puts it, the presence of a saint hinders the devil of elbow room for doing his tricks, which I thought was quite a good statement. Um, and also, do not partner with people in works of darkness, which it takes more than one person to commit. So, yeah, not to get into partnership. But he also says, um, in his own unique way, these aren't my words, um, a silent abstinence is not enough. No doubt, the best way in some circumstances to convict the darkness is to shine. Our holiness will convict sin of its ugliness. Our light will reveal the gloom. The presentation of a Christian life is the Christian's mightiest weapon in his conflict with the world's evil. But, <laughs> another but, that is not all. And if Christian people think that they have done all their duty uh, in regard to uh, iniquity by simply abstaining from them um, and presenting a nobler example, they have yet to learn one very important chapter of their duty. A dumb church is a dying church. And it ought to be, for Christ has sent us here in order, amongst other things, that we may bring Christian principles to bear upon the actions of the community and not be afraid to speak when we are called upon by conscience to do so. so he's quite, he's quite hard-hitting, um, but I think, you know, the, the challenge is there that, I mean, your life, our lifestyles are hugely important, um, but there is a time and a place to, to speak out. Um, but also connected to that, and um, I think Michael may touch on this later, is that you know speaking out should be underpinned by love and the way of life, our ways of life. Um, otherwise, we do risk legalism and a judgmental attitude. Which, um, I'm, as I was preparing, you know, I was thinking about you know in Corinthians where it talks about if I do X, Y, and Z but have not love, then I'm a you know, clanging symbol and, and all that. And I think, you know, that connects up with this because otherwise it can be quite an ugly presentation of Christianity. Um, also, I um, wanted to look a little bit more at um, just, yeah, moving into verse 13 where it talks about uh, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Um, We've mentioned, I've mentioned that, um, you know, that in itself, it, it's almost like a, 
as kind of the evangelism of living differently. Um, and there's a, a couple of verses, I mean, for those of you taking notes and for those of you who might do a bit more reading at home, I'm not saying you should, but if you do, um, there's a few verses, that Romans 13, verse 11, and John 5, verse 25, that connect really well with that. Um, and then moving on to uh, verse 15, which is where it talks about, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Um, and then goes through, you know, making the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. And these kind of contrasts of don't do this, but instead go this way. Um, just a few things to draw from that. Um, you know, making the most of every opportunity. Um, it's not necessarily an invitation to burn out. Um, that's something I, I reflect on a lot. Um, Jamie, who works here, has talked about his own kind of struggles with chronic fatigue syndrome. It's also something that I've experienced in my life and live with a, a, an awareness of. And it's, it's, you know, being guided by prayer and um, making the most of, of the situations you're in in, in the right way and, and with wisdom. Um, not the most popular subject, but advice against drunkenness. Um, just about being wise in, in how we handle drink, not, not, you know, not in a sort of killjoy sense, but um, you know, when do we cross the line in, in being out of control and unable to express ourselves? Um, the, at the time of writing this, um, there was a heathen cult, um, and intoxication was regarded as a means of inspiration at that time. Um, but you know, Paul was very much actually let the spirit influence you, you know, that, that your thoughts are, are guided by the spirit um, and, and that you're um, in control of your faculties, so to speak. Um, and then also just moving on to verse 19, um, you know, this kind of, in some ways, slightly odd concept of speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Um, it's not necessarily meaning, you know, we should all go around all the time talking in psalms and, and um, singing and, you know, life being one big musical. But, um, you know, in fellowship, sing and also have, you know, your personal praise time if, if that's, you know, that's how things work well for you. Um, but just having that kind of attitude of, of gratitude, as, as one person would say. Um, and um, just creating, you know, I, I, I think... There is really something about, um, I've heard and, and I've experienced it myself, that just what's called a thin space, where there's a lot of praise and a lot of prayer, it's like the, the connection between heaven and earth can become thinner. And I know, you know, in my own life, I've really experienced some God in, the, in certain times in those sorts of environments. And I think if we just create those atmospheres, it, it's, we really open ourselves up to blessing and, and just really engaging more with God. Um, and then also about giving thanks for everything um, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, obviously, we're not, um, you know, life is, is, can be very difficult um, and, and circumstances happen that it's really difficult to give thanks in. I think Paul was so aware, and I think what, you know, what Michael said in his part, being so aware of what Christ has done and the hope that we've got, um, it might not mean that we're grateful for every circumstance that comes our way, but just you know, having that at the centre. Um, you know, I know, I know that's difficult. I mean, I, I don't, I don't kind of um, demonstrate that all the time myself. But 
um, just in sort of digging into this and kind of seeing where Paul was coming from, um, it, it kind of inspired me to, to kind of think more like that. So just just to end and give Michael his opportunity to come up, um, there was something written by um, this the Glaswegian uh, preacher that I mentioned and that I thought it was really good to reflect on. And um, I'll just read it to you and um, then I'll hand back to Michael. Let's walk as children of light. Be true to your truest, deepest self. Manifest what you are as children of light. Let the sweet, sacred secrets of inward communion come out in the trivialities of ordinary conduct. Make of your every pure thought a deed and see to it that these deeds are vitalized and purified by contact with the great truths and thoughts that lie in his name. Thank you, Anna. And I just wanted to finally uh, wrap up um, with those three changes as we've seen. Uh, Darkness to light and how that changes us and affects us. And uh, now from outsiders to citizens, just very quickly um, before next week when Jamie looks at the church. So if you'd like to turn back to chapter 2, one of the great themes of the Bible is this idea of covenant and community. Who is God drawing into his community? Now, it's always by grace. He always chooses by grace. But who is he drawing in into his saving work? Now, God chooses or he elects Israel from all the other nations and he makes covenants with them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then he makes the the Davidic covenant with David. Now, all these covenants are preparing and pointing to Christ. And before Christ, there's this dividing wall. Jews, Gentiles. Now, look with me at verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. So he's not come to destroy the Jews, he's come to create a new community. It is not under the law. It's not under the commandments. It's now under Christ and Christ's death. So what does this community look like? Now, we did this last week. We're going to do it again. We're going to read Scripture out loud together. So if you have a Bible, chapter 2, we've got different um, versions, but that's okay. We're the same body. Some are better than others. Chapter 2, chapter 2. With three verses, one will be, looks like we stop halfway through a sentence, but that's okay. 17, 18, 19. Out loud, here we go. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Now, very, very quickly, foreigners and aliens. You know, because we we live in a country where we all have rights, okay? Yeah, but some of you will have read that story about Paul. Paul's about to be beaten up. Okay, And he says, no, 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 I'm a Roman citizen. He said, oh, oh, he has rights. He's allowed a trial. If we hurt him, the Romans will come down on us. Can you imagine that? And there are places at that time especially where people had no rights. 
And even today, there are people, because they are not part of one, civil, one citizenship, their rights are less than you and I. It's, it's a concept that, that, to me, definitely is very foreign, but it happens. There are no rights. And suddenly, we go from being like that, from being on the outside into the inside. We go from far to near. We go from that kind of foreigner alien to a citizen. We become, as it says here, God's people, God's household. Now, we know what he means already by this. Do we? Yes. Chapter 1, verse 5. In love, he predestined us to be adopted So we already knew we're going to be adopted. And now we know that it's because of the church. We're adopted into the church. Now, it doesn't mean buildings. It just means Christians. And it's this beautiful picture, isn't it? That we go from being foreigners and aliens to God's people. Now, the key here is this. No Christian is on the outside. No Christian Have a look at me. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. There's no outside inside here. Education, background, ethnicity, where you've come from, what you've done. There is no outside inside for those that are in Christ. We are inside we're all family. Now, if you've done any, if you, if you don't think that that's an amazing achievement, you probably don't know anyone that doesn't look and sound like you. Basically, that's the truth. You're sad. And, but uh, this is an incredibly powerful picture that there is nothing in our lives or anyone around the world that they could have done, they could have been, they could have said, the way they speak, anything that would inhibit them from becoming outside in. So as we go away, let's just think about that. I'm going to pray. Can we sing one song? We've got just three minutes. We're going to sing. We're going to sing a final song. I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to pray that that would dig deep for us, you know? Especially as Vicky's stuff, you know, for those of you that have been around for Vicky's stuff on hospitality, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But anyway, I knew, oh, that was just me kind of, I'm, Emma and I, we're just praying through it. It's difficult. We, re, we re-listened to them. But you know, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, how do we do love together? If we're all, no one's on the outside. How do we do love together? How do we do love together? If no one is on the outside, we're all on the inside and we're all the family of God. How do we do that? Jamie will answer that next week. Can I invite you to stand? Can I invite you to stand? Um, and, we're gonna pr- and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you so much that you have saved us from death to life. That we are no longer in darkness, but we're in your light. And that we are your light in our communities, in our workplaces, in our family. And we thank you so much that no one is on the outside. And we are all on the inside of God's family. And I pray uh, for those of us that need um, that need to be, to be drawn in, that they would know that they are as adopted as everyone else in this room. And for those of us that consider some Christians to be outside, 
Would your convicting Holy Spirit come upon us? That there would be no place for that in your church, in your family, in your household. Amen.